All right, well, let's open up to Acts 17. Grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Acts, chapter 17. That's where we'll be tonight, starting a new chapter. This is the 35th lesson in Acts for our class here. We've not skipped one verse. Isn't that nice? You can hear, hear about every verse. <clears throat> and if, if you ever think, um, and this is a, just an important reminder, generally speaking, about our church's teaching ministry. If you ever think, like, oh yeah, we studied that book, and I have a question about this verse from that book. All of our teaching audio is saved online. And if you need help finding that, I can help you find that on your personal device. You can go back. Like if, if maybe you're reading in your personal study something from Acts chapter 5 and you think, what does this mean? You can go back to our Acts series, find the lesson on one of the lessons on Acts chapter 5 and listen to what we said about that verse. Isn't that handy? Uh, it's all available. And so uh, remember that. And if you need help, just let Mark know and he'll take you right to it. <clears throat> no, let me know or Tyler and we can help you. <laughs> uh, if you need something built or fixed, Mark can definitely help you with that. If you need some technology, uh, me and Tyler can help. So, Or Joseph, our sound booth guy, he can also help. So, It'd be great. Okay, well, let's look at the first part of Acts 17, verses 1 through 8. Would someone like to read <laughs> Acts 17? Oh, I meant to say 1 through 9. Acts 17, 1 to 9. Who's got it? Rex, go ahead. <clears throat> Just confidence and quickly. I'll do it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Stumbled out of the gate a little bit. Uh, yeah, get back up. Here we go. There you go. Perfect. Uh, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As his custom was, Paul went to the synagogue <clears throat> on three Sabbath days. He reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Christ, that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is of Christ, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks, and not a few prominent women. But the Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters, this is NIV, some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out of the crowd. Uh, but when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other brothers before the city officials shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and the others post bomb and let them go. Alrighty, so... Let me ask you some questions about the book of Acts here to see if we can get our minds in the context. How many missionary journeys did Paul go on? Three. Three. Which one is this? Number two. Very good. This is Paul's second missionary journey. What big event took place in chapter 15 between the first journey and the second journey? First martyr. What? No, that was back in chapter 7. That was before Paul was a Christian. The Jerusalem Council. Good. And what was that about? The Jerusalem Council. Yeah, like the Jews, the Jews saying, hey, let's make the Gentiles do all the things that we had to do. Um, and there was, the result coming out of that meeting was what? 
Yeah, there are a few things. Yeah, immorality, things strangled, blood, uh, sacrificed idols, those things. So they didn't make the Gentiles uh, do all the things in the law. And why is that? The law doesn't save, right? And um, there are certain things in the law that are fulfilled in Christ. There's a moral aspect to the law that's true for everybody for all eternity. But uh, there are certain things like circumcision, for instance, which was for Israel. It was a sign for Israel. And we um, don't observe that as a Christian sign. And there are several things like that because of the gospel, right? Um, what do you think the... The mindset of Paul was coming out of that meeting. I mean, so consider yourself uh, in Paul's sandals here. Paul went to Galatia before the Jerusalem Council. He had a bunch of run-ins with the Jews, and this is chapter 14. And the Jews kept saying, go away, go away, we're going to beat you up, we're going to arrest you. Uh, remember, they, they stoned him and they thought he was dead? And then he popped back up and started preaching the next day. Uh, <clears throat> he had all these things that were going on, and... Um, and so then he said, I'm going to the Gentiles. He, he said, forget you guys, I'm going to the Gentiles. Right after that first missionary journey, he has this Jerusalem council meeting where the Jews and Gentiles are having a hard time getting along. They came up with this resolution. Um, what do you think are some of the things that were going through Paul's mind as a missionary, a Christian missionary in the first century at this point as he went out on another missionary journey? Jerry. I would say that uh, he's probably relieved to some degree that the Gentiles do not have to conform to the Jews' harsh means or things that they do. It makes the ministry of the Gentiles a little bit easier, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Since they don't have to go through all these rituals. Yeah. Uh, so I would think that would probably be enlightening or helping, encouraging to some degree that he can preach the word of God mm -hmm. and be precise in what he's teaching and preaching about Jesus Christ with all, all that visual stuff they've got to go do. Right. It's gone. Yeah, it's a, a lot harder to make converts out of adult men when you tell them they have to be circumcised, right? Yeah. That, that's a stumbling block, isn't it? <clears throat> so, uh, yeah, what, what else? What other thoughts do you guys have about what was in Paul's mind as he went out? Paul. Oh. Paul must have been thinking about how he was going to preach the gospel because he, he knew that the, the scriptures that the Jews recognized that Christ was pictured in there. So he knew that he could go Isaiah, mm -hmm. he could go to his Psalms. But with the Gentiles, it was straight up. There's one God you know, and yeah. he sent his son. Everyone sins. And you have to repent. <laughs> you have to go to him. And that's a perfect comment for chapter 17. Because if, if you've got headlines in your Bible here, you can see that the first part, they're going to Thessalonica. The second part, they're going to Berea. And if you look at the first verse under each of those headings, it says that they went to the synagogue in both of those places. Then we're going to find out Paul gets shipped down to Greece and He's not going to a synagogue uh, down there. He's going to a place called Mars Hill. And this is a Greek place full of Gentiles where it was the opposite of a synagogue. It wasn't a place of you know, strict, pure religious rituals. It was a place of 
you're mixing with the world. And the way he preached there was quite a bit different than the way, the way he taught in the synagogue. Diane? Well, I was just looking at 17.5. There's nothing new under the sun. <laughs> and wicked men from the marketplace going to all mm-hmm. and set the city in an uproar. Yeah. Hmm. What's going on in Louisville tonight? And attacking yeah. the house of a person. Mm. Wow, I wonder if they had BLO back then. Yeah, right. Um, that is the heart of sin. What Jesus said the enemy comes to seek and to, to kill and destroy. Yeah, what is sin and evil and the demons do? They just drag you into death and wickedness. And so you see that when you've got <clears throat> groups of sinners coming together in opposition to the gospel and the gospel truths, it's going to end in mobs and people being attacked and killed. Okay, well, I just wanted to kind of put our minds back there a little bit to help you think about what Paul's thinking about. Certainly, the whole distinction between Jew and Gentile, yet the unity that there is in Christ, that is at the forefront of everything Paul's doing, right, at this time. This is a new message. It's the Christian message, and he's reaching two groups of people, Jews and Gentiles. And they're having a hard time getting along. (laughs) But uh, in the gospel, they can get along. And real quick, too, another context issue. It says in uh, this passage that it was Paul with who? Verse 4. Silas. What happened to Barnabas? Do you remember? The end of chapter 15. After this beautiful Jerusalem council moment where all the leaders, the apostles, and uh, leaders came together, the elders... And they made a group decision. It's like, hey, we're all on the same page. A few verses later, Paul and Barnabas split. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Christian splitting off has, is as old as Christians. So it's just kind of how that works sometimes. But they said, I think, what's the beautiful thing with that one, for whatever reason, we may not ever know, but when, they, when Paul calls for, for Mark, he brought to him. Yeah. So whatever happened in between there is going to be something to get there. Yep. Melissa. Was that sinful or was that handled righteously? Which, uh, as we read through that in Scripture, maybe you can turn back there at the end of chapter 15. It's verses 36 to 40. Mm -hmm. Who was in sin, according to Scripture, in that situation? Who was righteous according to Scripture in that situation? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it appears to be in a secondary issue. This is one of the places in Scripture I go to as evidence of secondary doctrine. The doctrine they were disagreeing about is qualifications for ministry. Paul said unqualified. Barnabas said he's qualified. And today, churches disagree on what makes a man qualified for ministry. And you can't really say one's in sin and the other one's not. It's just they disagree and they have different views, interpretations of certain passages or whatever it is. And you agree to disagree and you move on. And there are some times in life when you, you with another Christian have to have a Paul and Barnabas moment. Where you're not necessarily calling the other one a sinner. or a, <laughs> You're both sinners. You're not exactly calling the other one you know, in the wrong in this situation. But you agree that 
you know, we're, we're just going to not come to terms on this and we just have to part ways. And there are sometimes when people try to say that there's a situation uh, that's a Paul and Barnabas situation when one's clearly in the wrong. <laughs> uh, and that's not okay because you can't just call every disagreement a Paul and Barnabas situation because sometimes people really are wrong and they need to be corrected. Mark? I think in that scenario too, I think that you know, Mark obviously did some, that I don't think they meshed together and Barnabas and Mark, obviously they were relatives, but Paul was, it almost comes across like Paul was hurt by Mark by what he did. Mm -hmm. And so it was more of like, I don't, I don't really want him to, to be involved with the ministry yeah. that I'm in because I don't trust him or he's hurt, he's hurt me. And so, and I don't, to answer with her question, or just my thought is, I think mean, there was a sin. I think it was a personality thing, and a you know, I disagree with how he left. And yeah. Barnabas, on Barnabas' side, he says, "I see hope in Mark." Mm -hmm. Obviously, with Barnabas, he was right because then Paul calls him back. Right. So, you know, it's just a difference of you know how how their personalities mesh. Because not even in not all church. You know, people that can't get together in the church, and even though they believe the same thing, doesn't mean that they can serve on the same leadership team. Yeah. Because their personalities are so yeah. different. So. Yeah, it's true. It's but true. The same thing, just right. And don't you know that sometimes you have personality conflicts with other people? <laughs> What's wrong with you anyway? <laughs> beaten, and I can't remember what happened at this point, but he, he took the ministry pretty seriously. Yeah, certainly. And I think who he traveled with, he felt like he had to be able to trust him and depend on him. Yeah. And I think he just thought he couldn't depend on Mark. Right. He's all up. Yeah, because that, that was what he pointed to, to say, hey, he bailed on us. Yeah. Yeah, I probably got too after the first Yeah. I hear you. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's... Uh, Let's look back. Uh, Tyler walked us through chapter 16 where they left and went to a region called Macedonia. Let's go back to chapter 16, the first part of it, real quick. They ended up in a town called Philippi. But let's look at verses 6 through 12 of Acts 16 to remember why they went that direction in the first place. Acts 16, 6 through 12. Would someone read that for us? And when they went through the region of Perugia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. When they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Tros, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Through what? Twelve. Um, and when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Oh, that's good there. Okay, so that's, that's the basis of the vision. And I've got a map up here. Um, and you can't, if this was a bigger TV and a bigger map, you got Galatia and everything off to the east here. And that red line that travels through all these strangely named cities um, is called the Ignatian Way. And we talked about this in the first sermon of the First Thessalonians series. That's why I had this map. Um, and I'm sure you don't remember that sermon. And that's okay. 
But you see uh, the red line, it goes through Philippi. It's kind of in the middle on the top side of the red line, Philippi. So they hit that town first, and they came down through and Amphipolis, and then to Thessaloniki, as it's called on this map. We call it Thessalonica in Scripture. And that's the path that they went along, a very popular traveling route in that day. And that's the, the path they took as they were walking through city by city on this journey, going that direction because of a vision. Paul had a vision where a guy in that region, a Macedonian, was saying, come and help us. So they stopped at Philippi, and we looked at this in the last chapter. Who was the first convert in Philippi? A woman named Lydia. Lydia, the first European convert that we know of in Scripture. The next one in Philippi that we know of uh, was that possessed, demon-possessed girl. Remember that? She was falling, barking at them, uh, annoying them. That's what it says in Scripture. And um, I guess we don't know for sure if she became a convert, but... Um, I think it's fun to imagine that she was a part of the church. And then <clears throat> the next one, at the end of the chapter, when they're in prison, who's the next one to become a believer? A jailer. So you've got this European woman, potentially a formerly demon-possessed girl, and the jailer. You've got a church going, okay? And so the church of Philippi was off and running. And then we see here in Acts 17 tonight, verses 1 to 9, that they had some converts there in verse 4. Um, some Jews, that they were persuaded and they joined Paul and Silas. And then a, many, a great number of the devout Greeks and not a few, otherwise known as several, of the leading women. So there's a mix of Jews and Greeks who are converted right at the, at the start there in Thessalonica. And uh, we're going to maybe get to it tonight, Berea. And remember the Bereans were mainly Jews they were the independent thinkers who wanted to search the scriptures. And they were more noble than the Thessalonians, it says, because they wanted to verify everything that was being taught by the Hebrew scriptures. Um, so those are your three Macedonian towns, Philippi, Thessalonica, and it's not up there, but about 40 miles southwest of Thessalonica is Berea. And uh, those are the Macedonian cities that uh, heard the gospel on this journey. Now, Paul was in Thessalonica how long, it says in this passage, verse 2? Yeah, three Sabbath days. It was like a little Bible conference or something. Paul's speaking at the synagogue three Sabbath days in a row. Wouldn't that be cool to witness that? Paul there uh, explaining from the Old Testament that Jesus is the Christ. And as we think about what Paul explained, the passage says he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. We have to understand that he was like Andy mentioned earlier, opening to the Old Testament, going through the Hebrew Scriptures. Uh, Psalm 45, verse 6. Psalm 110, 1. Isaiah 53. Uh, Psalm 2. Daniel. You've got all these mega passages in the Bible that are about Jesus. In the Old Testament, even. You know the Christmas ones, right? Uh, Isaiah seven fourteen. Behold, the virgin shall bear a son. Uh, Isaiah 9, 6. His name shall be... Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Uh, all these things in the Old Testament pointing to their Messiah coming. We have to think that Paul was flipping to those very passages and reasoning with them that Jesus is the Messiah. And as we think about what was central to his message, let's look at what it says in verse 3. What was central 
to the whole thing Paul was wanting to communicate. What was central to Paul's message according to verse 3? Of course, Jesus is the Christ, but what else? <coughs> it's, yeah, that it was necessary for him to suffer and to rise from the dead. To suffer and to rise from the dead. Where would you go in the Old Testament to show that it's necessary for the Messiah to rise from the dead? What do you mean? Sacrifice, basically. Okay, well, the sacrifice part. Yeah, the resurrection part. That's a little tougher. A lot of passages about the dead. Melissa? Yeah, verse 10, his days will be prolonged and he will see his offspring. So that's, there are two main verses. That's the vaguer one, but that is still a good one. There's another verse 10. Yes, Joe. Okay, go ahead. So the Jews are still waiting for the Messiah. Yeah. So they didn't believe that he raised, he was raised from the dead. Why don't they believe that? Well, um, it's for the same reason people today don't believe that, really. Uh, it's their sin. But, but they saw Jesus. Not all of them. No, not all of them. Yeah. Some of them, and they're witnessing to it. Yeah. Yeah, there are, I don't know if we have explicitly in the New Testament an account of somebody who saw Jesus from the dead, who then still rejected Jesus as Lord. I would think most people who would have seen that face-to-face, because it says there were over 500 witnesses, I imagine that most of them would have believed. But at the same time, we have to remember uh, what it it says in Scripture um, when they would ask for a sign. I mean, Jesus walked among people, and they were asking for signs. They were asking the God of the universe for a special sign that they might believe. And there's Jesus, the God of the universe. And he doesn't owe them a sign at all. Uh, It was their sin that was causing them to be blind and to refuse to submit to him as Lord. And so they're always going to ask for more. I mean, even if, uh, no matter what they think they would need to believe, they still wouldn't believe because God has to change their hearts. And that's that's tough. Go ahead. Just another thought on that with, they believe, the Jews believe that Jesus was going to come and to be their conquering king and to save them from everything. So when he came and died, they thought, well, this can't be the true Messiah. This isn't the one that, that, that came. They were, they were thinking he was going to be the one that's going to come. That's why when he came in on and all the palm leaves and they celebrated him and all, because that's what they believed he was coming. And then when he died, they thought, well, that's not him. So they didn't believe that he was the Christ any longer and didn't believe in his resurrection or anything because he didn't. So then they just ignored that he uh, rose again. Or they don't believe that Well, I remember it's in Matthew 11. Jesus was going along and doing all kinds of signs and he curses a couple of towns. Woe to you, Chorazin and another town I can't remember the name of. He says if the signs performed for you were done for Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes. So, 
what he's, he's basically using hyperbole there because Sodom and Gomorrah was known to the Jews as like the worst place in the world. And he says, if I would have done these signs for them, they would have repented, but you're not repenting. Why didn't they repent? It's the sin in their heart. Okay, what's the other verse 10 about the resurrection in the Old Testament? It's used by Peter in Acts chapter 2 in his sermon at Pentecost. And I believe in Acts chapter 3 as well. Isn't it Joel or something? No, not Joel, though Joel 2 is a big part of uh, Peter's sermon. Go back to Acts chapter 2, verse 27. Acts 2, verse 27. You guys got to know this. Highlight it, write it down, make a note. Old, Old Testament prophecies about the resurrection, Acts 2.27. Peter says, For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. He's quoting what psalm? Psalm 16.10. That's right. Psalm 16.10. And Peter says, Look, David wrote this. You won't let your Holy One see corruption. Well, David wasn't writing about himself because we know where David's buried. We know where his bones are. <laughs> He says, he, this is talking about the Messiah to come. So there you go. Psalm 1610 is the big one. Uh, but why were we even going there in the first place? Well, it's because Paul was reasoning from the Hebrew Scriptures that it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead. And this was Paul's motivation. This is what uh, Paul was focused on every city he went to teaching them. In fact, he says to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15, he says... For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. The, the central aspect of Paul's message is that the Messiah was to come and die for sins, and that he was to be resurrected, and that both of those events are in accordance with the Scriptures. That was Paul's focus. That was his ministry. And that needs to be our focus and our ministry. Evangelism, if we're not talking about Jesus coming, dying for sins, and being resurrected, all according to the Scriptures, then what are we talking about, right? That is our central message. Okay? Thoughts on that? Questions? Good? Tracking? Good. All right, um, so the group that believed, again, according to verse 4, this was an influential group of people. And what happens time and time again in all these cities, when an influential group of people believes, the whole city gets in an uproar because the people who used to influence the influencers are now losing their, their ground and their authority. The city officials who are seeing these people be converted are saying, oh, no, that's a threat to us. That's a threat to the influence that we have. So um, the Jews come along and say, look, they are saying there's another king besides Caesar. And what does Caesar think of that? Not happy, right? See, <laughs> Caesar says, I'm the only king. And anytime there's a threat against his influence, well, he's going he's gonna to fight back. And so Jason, who's a new convert, he gets dragged out of his house with other new converts. Here they are. They've probably been Christians for days, weeks, and they're already getting dragged out of their house for being Christians. We've got it pretty easy, don't we? We've made it years, decades, some of us, and uh, we've got it pretty cushy. Here they are from the moment they believed. 
Are you going to stand up for Christ? Because you're probably going to be put in jail or killed. Here they are, and they're being dragged out of the house. And they're brought before the authorities, and they had to pay a fine. It's likely that along with paying a fine, they were told to not let Paul and Silas come back and have influence again. That, that Jason and the others were told, look, uh, don't let those guys come around again. If, if you do, it'll be bad for you. Um, pretty amazing that they were released at the end of all that. But they were. So. So Jason, it's likely that Jason was a Jew, though the name Jason is a Greek name. It was pretty popular back then for Jews to take on Greek names in that um, I believe what I read that many Jewish men named John would take on the name Jason in the Greek settings. But all we know is that he was one of the first believers in Thessalonica. Okay. Yeah. Talking about the bomb that they had to post one of the mountains. It doesn't say that much, and that'd be pretty good. And then that bond was sure that if they came back in and Jason or whoever posted that bond would lose that amount. Let's say it was several thousand dollars in a day or, or whatever. So not only would they, you know, maybe from a jump off B months, but also yeah. lose that amount of money. So I'm post this. Yeah. To ensure that they don't come in. So like I said, that's another reason why the, the two of them, they have to leave because of that. Yes. Yes, um, anything that the, that the people of the city could do to discourage Christians, they were going to do. Rob them, beat them, jail them, whatever it might be. So. This is the last that we hear, except for one place that we'll look at in a second. This is basically the last that we hear of the Thessalonians throughout the whole book of Acts. They got nine verses, and this is it. How did they turn out? Think of the rest of the New Testament. How did the Thessalonians turn out? Yeah. Yeah, they, they weren't one of the churches. I mean, think of 1 Corinthians that we're going through now on Sunday mornings. Corinthians were in pretty rough shape, weren't they, as far as issues? Uh, they had issues like Sports Illustrated, right? Um, the Thessalonians, on the other hand, they have their letter written to them, and Paul seems... I mean, he's, there are some things that are going on that he wants them to grow in, but overall, he's very encouraged by them. Corinthians, you couldn't really say that. So let's actually turn to that book. If you've got a ribbon, put it here, or keep your finger here, and go forward to 1 Thessalonians. And I want us to see how this church turned out, because I just love seeing the history play out in the book of Acts, and then getting the rest of the story later in the New Testament. I think that's so cool. 1 Thessalonians, and let's start in chapter 1. Someone want to read for us 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1? I got it. Okay. Paul and Sylvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. All right, Sylvanus is just another name for Silas. Same guy. So here, Paul and Silas, the ones who started the church in Thessalonica, they're the ones writing the letter back to the Thessalonians. Walker, you want to keep going down 2 to verse 5? Mm-hmm. We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers. 
constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father. Knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you. <laughs> For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. Alright, so he's thanking God for them and saying, we know, verse 4, we know God has chosen you. What a strong and encouraging statement. Let's pick it up in verse 6, I'll read. It says, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction. Yeah, we just read about Jason, didn't we? Um, you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned from or turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Well, that's like as good of a summary as you could give to a church, right? That they turn from idols, they turn to the Lord, their reputation spread, all the people in Macedonia, which is up on that map there, all those people up there were to become imitators of the Thessalonians because of how well they were doing. That's pretty amazing. Uh, let's look in chapter 2, 17 to 20. Would someone read chapter 2, verses 17 to 20? Okay. So Paul and Silas, who had to escape Thessalonica quickly, you know, Paul liked to stay in places for a while. Remember he stayed in Corinth for 18 months, <laughs> just teaching them? Well, Thessal Thessalonica, he wasn't able to do that. He had to scoot real fast. And so he's saying, look, I want to get back to you guys. But who hindered them? And in that passage earlier in Acts 16 that Jin read for us, it said the spirit of Jesus hindered them. How do you know the difference between Jesus hindering you and Satan hindering you? There's no answer to that. That's a trick question. Uh, I just think it's fascinating that in one place it says it was Jesus and the other place it says Satan. I don't know uh, how you tell the difference necessarily, but we know that the sovereign Lord of the universe, sometimes he personally intervenes and hinders you from doing something, and other times he allows Satan to do it. Interesting, isn't it? Okay, let's keep looking in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, 6 to 13. Chapter 3, 6 to 13. Now, Paul couldn't go. He says, we want to go back to you. Satan has hindered us. But what he ended up doing is sending Timothy. And what did Timothy have to say about the Thessalonians? Chapter 3, 6 to 13. Who's got it? it? Okay. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us good news of your faith and love and that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us just as we also long to see you. For this reason, brethren, in all our distress and affliction, we were comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you 
how he really lives, if you stand firm in the Lord, for what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy with which you rejoice before our God on your account? As, as we night and day keep praying most earnestly that you may see, we may see your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith. Now, may God our Father, may our God and Father himself and Jesus our Lord direct our way to you. And may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people, just as we also do for you, so that he may establish your hearts without blame and holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. All right. A lot of the book of 1 Thessalonians, well, a letter, it's a better way to think about it. A lot of this letter that Paul and Silas and Timothy are writing is about just how the Thessalonians are doing. Isn't that amazing as you look through there? Um, just seeing personally how Jesus has changed their lives. And he's saying, look, we sent Timothy and he brought us good news. Verse 6. Good news of your faith and love. Isn't that amazing? Um, and so they are doing, they're doing well. But in verse 10, we do see that there was something lacking in their faith. And Paul says, we can't wait to see you face to face so we may complete what is lacking. And what exactly that is, we don't know, but Paul had a heart for them and wanted them to just keep growing in the Lord. And we see this, this is the last verse we'll look at in this book, chapter 4, verse 1, the very next verse. Paul says, look, finally, brothers, we ask and urge you in Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. So he just encouraged them and said, you're doing great. Keep going. Just keep going. Excel still more. Um, and the Thessalonians are a great example for churches on how to just start off even in tough circumstances, but to be faithful to God, be unified. A lot of good stuff happening in Thessalonica. And if you go back to the book of Acts, um, just after chapter 17, it's actually chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, we see that Paul, after writing that letter to them, finally did get to see them again. Paul got to see the Thessalonians. It's a good conclusion to that, that little story where he had this yearning to see them. It says in Acts 20, starting in verse 1, after the uproar in Ephesus ceased, Paul sent for the disciples. And after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. When he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews, as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. So there's two more times he went to Macedonia. Verse 4, Sopater, <laughs> the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, Pyrrhus, I don't know what his name is, accompanied him. And of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secondus. So two Thessalonians ended up coming along with Paul on a missionary journey. And Gaius of Derby and Timothy and the Asians, Tychicus and Tromphemus. These went on ahead, were waiting for us at Troas, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. And in five days we came to them at Troas where we stayed for seven days. So Paul, later on, still doing missions work, goes through Macedonia again, gets to see the Thessalonians. Yay, his joy is made complete. He actually goes through again and sees them again and takes some Macedonians with him on his journey.
Cool. I think it's cool. Thoughts or questions on Thessalonica? Because after this, we're moving past them and not really looking back. Okay. Okay, the next town they went to, again, is Berea, which is about 40 miles southwest of Thessalonica. And they went there, of course, because they were fleeing persecution uh, in Thessalonica. So they went to this town, a pretty small town. Uh, One writer from the first century called it an out-of-the-way town. (laughs) So they're out into the country, way off the Ignatian Way, that red line. They're way off the beaten trail in this place called Berea. So would someone read verses 10 through 15 for us in Acts chapter 17? The brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. Now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed, along with the number of prominent Greek women and men. But when the Jews of Thessalonica found out that the word of God had been proclaimed by Paul in Berea, also, they came there as well, agitating, agitating and stirring up the crowds. And immediately the brethren sent Paul out to go as far as the sea, and Silas and Timothy remained there. Now those who escorted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they left all right. So the Bereans in the synagogue, uh, every, every town had a synagogue, even the small towns, kind of like in Utah, you'll find those white steeples everywhere. Uh, here they go into Berea and they found a synagogue. They went in there and it says that the Bereans were more noble than the Thessalonians. How is nobility defined by this context? Acts 17, verse 11. What made the Bereans noble? They were discerning. They took everything they heard to Scripture to make sure it was true. Okay, so Scripture here is defining nobility as having a healthy relationship with the Word of God, isn't it? Our relationship with the Scripture says a lot about us. <laughs> and here it, it calls, uh, the Scriptures call these people noble because they love the scriptures. They search the scriptures. And I love how in uh, verse 12, you find that word, therefore. Because they were noble, meaning they had a healthy relationship with the word of God, therefore, what happened? They believed. Because they understood that the scriptures are the final authority in all matters of faith and practice, Of course they believed. What other result could there be if the word of God has authority over your life? And and consider what authority they gave to Scripture, that they totally, radically changed their beliefs because Scripture taught them that Jesus was the Messiah. These were Jews. They did not believe in Jesus. They Here come Paul and Silas, Preaching the cross, the word of the cross, like we've been talking about in 1 Corinthians. The Jews there in Berea didn't have the word of the cross. They had their synagogue and they had their rituals. But they also had the scriptures. And they believed that the scriptures were authoritative. So for Paul and Silas to open up the Hebrew Bible and to go to those passages like Psalm 2 and Psalm 45 and Isaiah, 
all those, all those amazing passages and to point and say, this is Jesus. This is Jesus. He had to be the final sacrifice for sin, and he had to rise from the dead. He's the Messiah. For them to be convinced by Scripture, that means Scripture has the authority. And that made them noble. It would be good if professing Christians in the world today had that kind of view of Scripture, wouldn't it? Because there are a lot of issues we run into out there in the world and a lot of conversations that we have. And we point to the Word of God and say, but Scripture says this. And a lot of professing Christians out there will say, so what? <laughs> not very noble. Not noble-minded. Not saved. Diana. Excuse me, my thought was because these people did not have a Bible like we do, and they had to be in a group setting for church in order to hear the Word of God. And so to me that, and I know Scripture already says it, but it makes it so important for us to be together, yeah. to hear the Word of God, yeah, and to hear it preached rightly. Mm -hmm. how important that is. That's all they had. They also memorized their Torah. Uh, well. <laughs> and uh, I have stored up your word in my heart, right? I mean, that was, yes. So they came together, and of course they encouraged each other to memorize Scripture too, like all Christians should be doing, encouraging one another to do that. Because it isn't a battle we fight alone. It's not a race we run alone. This God saved you and put you in a family, didn't he? Just like you didn't pick your earthly family, you also didn't really pick your spiritual family. <laughs> and here we are together as one family, and we need to be together and encourage one another um, to hear from the Word of God and to hear and to memorize what He has said and to run everything past the Word of God. Melissa? Just, just earlier, kind of talking about like, thinking back to the culture of the Jewish people and thinking about the Midwest, how there's so much cultural Christianity. That when you talk about scripture people, they're almost like, yeah, I know, even though they don't know, mm -hmm. but they're like so dismissive, yeah, I know. But this is convicting because it can be so easy to just dismiss them altogether. Like they're not going to listen anyway because they think they know even though they don't. But the Jews listened and got saved, and they could have said, yeah, we know. Yeah. Like we know the scriptures, we know them better than you, we, we know. Um, and then, like, I also thought of John the Baptist's disciples when they were met by some. Yep. Jesus, You're a couple chapters ahead of us, but that's okay. Wait, no. I'm, I'm going backwards. Was it back? John the Baptist. I thought it was Acts 19. Oh, is it? Okay. Well, they didn't know everything, and then they were told the rest, and they were like, oh, we believe that. I'm pretty sure it's 19. The disciples of John the Baptist. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> we'll talk about this later. Okay. <laughs> but it could be, I was just earlier today kind of writing off people who think they know everything because they have enough history to... To yeah. be dismissive and then Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it's entirely true. Um, I saw a Facebook friend of mine made a, a post the other day just saying, Is there anything more tragic than encountering a person who thinks he has nothing to learn? That's that's pretty tragic, isn't it? When you think you know it all and you're not going to be taught um, yeah, the Bereans most certainly could have could have acted that way, and they did not. Sorry for being in it. Oh well, I'll consider forgiving you.
Stop it, Andy. <laughs> well, um, again, in Berea, what you see is that many influential people were saved. Look at verse 12. Many of them therefore believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. So this is a, a little bit of a rare thing. We're actually coming up on a passage, I think this, like, yeah, I mean this Sunday we're going to get into it, where Paul says to the Corinthians, God chooses the weak and foolish things of the world to shame the strong and the wise. And he'll even say, consider your own calling, brothers. Uh, not many of you were noble. <laughs> not many of you were strong or wise. Uh, that's, you know, the way that we understand how God builds his church is he, he picks the most humble and modest uh, of the world for the purpose of shaming the show-offs of the world. And uh, here we see he's picking the influential people in these cities. He's saving the influential people of the cities. And he's doing so with a purpose. He's causing an uproar in every place. In fact, uh, did you catch what was said back in verse 6, back in Thessalonica? I said we weren't going to look back, but here we are looking back. Uh, the Jews were shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. Uh, God is disrupting these cities with the gospel. Pretty cool. And, uh, and in Berea, influential people are getting saved. And uh, again, persecution. It's the Jews from Thessalonica. They come, they make that 40-mile journey. They come down and they say, hey, we heard Paul and Silas are around here. We're, we're going to bust this up. So they stroll into Berea and Paul and, and uh, well, just Paul, goes off to Athens. And Silas and Timothy stayed there, which is an interesting deal. It shows that Paul was considered the leader, um, but Paul didn't consider himself able to do all this by himself. He, he says, as he's being sent off to Athens, he tells the guys, make sure Silas and Timothy know to come find me as soon as they can. Uh, Paul felt like he needed them in his ministry. He wasn't some superman. He was just a man who was called to be an apostle, and he needed... Silas and Timothy for his mission. Um, I want to take a moment to point out in the couple minutes we have left that as they're fleeing persecution here, we can see in Scripture in the book of Acts over and over again that fleeing persecution is a legitimate reason to move in your ministry. Uh, now, some people will choose to stay. Some people will choose to go. Um, again, that's one of those neither one's right, neither one's wrong. Uh, here, Paul leaves and tells Silas and Timothy to leave too. Come, come with me. Um, that's a legitimate reason to move. And there could be a, a day very soon in these quote-unquote United States of America uh, when we might get a shipment of Californians. Uh, it's already starting. Uh, yeah. <laughs> or as I like to call them, mixed nuts. Uh, we might get a bowl of them. And uh, they, no, there are believers there. We have dear brothers and sisters in so many places who could be leaving legitimate persecution in the coming days. Some might stay, some might go. In fact, it's almost certain some will stay and some will go. And uh, we have to recognize this is what's happened through world history. People get persecuted, Christians get persecuted, and 
Some of them move, some of them stay and get beheaded, some of them stay and God spares them. And that's just kind of how it goes. Um, but the way things are going, you know, five years ago we would talk this way and they would think, well, maybe, you know, in our great, great, great grandkids' lives, maybe then it'll happen. And now it's like, well, depending on how the election goes, we might get beheaded. Uh, so it's, it's like kind of at our doorstep here. So let's just be ready. There's one of those mixed nuts, Joe. <laughs> Would I ever insult you? No, never. In the bowl of mixed nuts, you're a pistachio. <laughs> Interpret that as you as you will. Yeah, there you go. Okay, yeah, cashews are good. Um, <laughs> well, just to give you a, a heads up of what happens in this storyline, because we, we leave Berea there too. We don't really have anything, you know, at least with the Thessalonians, we've got books written to them later. Bereans don't have a letter written to them in Scripture. This is like the, the end of the Berean story, except for uh, so, Sopater, 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 the Berean. Um, other than that, we don't really know what happened to them. Uh, but we do know this, that Paul does go down to Athens, and Silas and Timothy did come down to Athens to meet him. And if you're taking notes, that's in 1 Thessalonians 3.1, where we see that, that Paul recounts the story that they were down there with him. And then what happens, after they're in Athens for a bit, um, Timothy is sent back to Thessalonica. That's that report that we read earlier. Timothy goes back to Thessalonica, sees how they're doing, and he comes back with the report. And Silas goes back to Macedonia, but we don't know if he went to Philippi or Berea or where he went. So Silas and Timothy come down and meet Paul in Athens. They're there for a bit, and then they get sent back to Macedonia, both of them. Pretty interesting. And then um, next, well, it won't be next week. It'll be two weeks from today. We're going to get into Athens and Mars Hill in Greece. And this will look very different than Thessalonica and Berea. Remember, they went to the synagogues in Macedonia. But once you get to Greece, you're going to the marketplace. It'll be pretty fun to read about. Okay? Concluding questions or thoughts? Joseph. So I don't know if this actually seemed where anyone else, but like we were talking about how they fled persecution from Thessalonica, right? Right. And then like we know that the Thessalonian church was doing good. Yeah. So it's like is it was it like once, you know, like a really contrary people and then suddenly like, you know, God anoints it yeah, so Paul, Paul and Silas left Thessalonica. Um, they fled persecution to go down to Berea. But Jason and the others that were with him stayed. You know, they went to jail, they paid their bond, and then they, they went back and kept doing church. Uh, they, they had their services. They were together, living together, and encouraging one another. So, yeah, I don't, we don't know what the rest of their life looked like. But God had his people there. And that place grew. That church grew. Pretty cool. Yeah. Good. Anything else? Jim. I think for me, the, the Bereans 
Someone's going to be Lord. It's either going to be our own mind, the scientific community, uh, mom and dad, fill in the blank. Someone's going to be Lord. Or it'll be God himself who gave us his word. And whether we like it or not, uh, that's just the way it is. And everything, if God, if God is who he says he is, everything around us has to be judged by his word, not by our opinions. Andy. I was just going to say, um, there's an old axiom that all truth is God's truth. And science may try to say things that are incorrect, that are unbiblical. Um, but you, you do truly have to look at it as it's a philosophy. Everything is a philosophy, including science. Yep. So, you know, God is the one that gave us reason. God is the one that gave us minds to think and reason. But God's word is the ultimate standard. It's the ultimate truth. That's it. We all have starting points. And those starting points have to be examined. Okay. Very well. Well, I'm going to pray for us and we'll wrap up six minutes late. There's no ending time. We're not late. <laughs> Lord, again, we thank you so much for today, and we thank you for the opportunity to study, to study your word, knowing that this isn't just a book, but this is the word of life. This is a, your sword. This is what we go to to understand who you are, who we are, how to live our lives. And we ask that tonight's study wouldn't just be information that's in our heads, but that we would look at what you have done in the history of the world and building your church, that we'd be encouraged by it, that we would see the example of believers who have gone before us and seek to imitate them as they imitate Christ, that we would uh, just have hearts that are moldable, shapeable by you, our creator, and that we would submit to you whenever we think we're going the right direction if you confront us and correct us, have us to yield to you, God, that we would have uh, spirits that just want to serve you. Um, Lord, we thank you so much that you put us together, that you've made us a witness here in this community. And we ask that in the days ahead, you'd give us great conversations with our neighbors. And uh, a week from today, as we go out, that we would make some good connections with our actual physical neighbors in our own backyard here. Lord, we love you so much. We thank you and ask your blessing uh, on our travel tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. amen.